the markets. We just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets with your co-hosts, the Finance Coast and Mohamed Nala. Together, we have more than 25 years of combined experience in the markets. For those looking to take their market and business knowledge to the next level, we offer Magic Markets Premium, a research reports and podcast library that nearly has 100 reports in it and a new one every week, all available for just 99 Rand a month. Recent reports have included the likes of Kroger, Deer & Co, Foot Locker, McDonald's, UPS, Apple, Meta, Johnson & Johnson & Swatch. With broad variety and deep research, this is perfect for anyone looking to go to the next level. We invite you to join us in Magic Markets Premium. Go to magic-markets.com to subscribe. This episode of Magic Markets is brought to you by B2IT. Have you heard of Robotic Process Automation or RPA? It taps into the incredible potential of artificial intelligence to effortlessly handle those never-ending, monotonous tasks. Or as B2IT put it, they make robots so people don't have to be robots. Visit b2it.co.za to kickstart your business automation journey. We thank B2IT for their support of Magic Markets. Welcome to episode 157 of Magic Markets. It's our first show of 2024. I like to think we're feeling quite energized, Mo. Although, of course, adulting got in the way of holidays as it usually does with kids getting sick and goodness knows what else. But here we are. And to our listeners, welcome to 2024. And hopefully you did get a decent break. And if adulting got in the way of your holiday, then hopefully you manage that accordingly. Pleased to report that B2IT is still supporting our podcast here and making it possible for us to do these really cool shows where we get to just dig into two companies of our choice and bring those insights to you. And Mo, this week we chose some pretty interesting stocks. I'll let you uh, say hello and and tell the listeners what we went with. Yeah, Ghost, uh, welcome to 2024 to you, to our listeners as well. We're certainly excited about what the year holds in front of us and again you know we hope you're excited to be here with us on magic markets and for those of you that are magic markets premium subscribers some very interesting stuff that we're covering uh, in fact i'm going to mention it goes this week something that's been very topical has been the weight loss and obesity drugs ozempic wigavi and we're covering novo nordisk so if you're a subscriber go and check out the premium pod if you're not a subscriber you really should consider getting involved at only 99 rand a month uh, that's my shameless plug at the start of the year in terms of adulting, yes, you know, we've gone through the season and we, I must say, are having our first reasonable snowstorm up here in Ontario. So it's the first snow. It was a very bleak uh, December, certainly no snow, no white Christmas there. As I look outside my window right now, we can see the snow starting to come in uh, thick and fast and potentially this weekend as well. Uh, and again, envious of the lovely South African summer down there. Ghost, I'm going to jump right in. The stocks that we are covering this week, you are looking at a company called Pandora. That's something that I'm told is a very familiar to South Africans. Uh, there are a number of Pandora stores down there. I, I certainly wasn't familiar with it. And I was like, what is Pandora? Are we opening up? You need up- to buy more jewelry for the girls <laughs> in your life, Mo. That's what I've learned We're, from this process. When you bu- I, I couldn't believe you've never heard of Pandora. Do they just not? Is it just not in the malls in Canada? I, I, or do you just I, not look? I, I just don't look, right? Because when you go and start I buying jewelry, I, I, have, I, have three, I have three women in this house two daughters and my wife if i go and start buying lots of jewelry at pandora i'm opening up pandora's box quite literally <laughs> literally right uh, so you're looking at pandora i'm looking at swatch now swatch is a company that we've covered here at magic markets premium previously uh, and the reason why i'm looking at swatch is that if we're looking at jewelry if we're looking at mass affluent kind of consumer products for me that was a nice kind of contrast looking at a global 
uh, watch company effectively. And we're going to jump into that. But Ghost, why don't you tell us a little bit about Pandora? I'm certainly quite interested. Yes, most since you don't pay attention to the world around you with jewelry stores. No, I'm just kidding. So it's definitely no stranger to South African shoppers. I'd be very surprised if anyone listening hasn't heard of Pandora. They actually have a retail network of 2,500 stores globally. So this is not small. In fact, the company calls itself the world's largest jewelry brand. So there we have it. Now it's Danish, much like Novo Nordisk that we covered in premium this week. So we have a very weird scenario where two Danish companies in one week. But anyway, it is what it is. And uh, the share price does some rather fascinating things at Pandora. So it's currently trading at around 980 Danish kroner. That's up 82.5% in the past 12 months. So in case you felt that any of your other stocks did really well, you could have had Pandora 82.5. That's pretty damn good. Over five years, the stock is up nearly 250%. So very, very strong result there. But, and here's the big but, if you bought it at the top in 2016, you've made nothing. Absolutely nothing. So this thing is an expert in peaks and troughs. Makes it a cool stock because volatility is how you make money, but you need to keep an eye on it, that's for sure. Now, you're the technical expert here, Mo, certainly not me, but you know if you just draw this chart, it is looking rather peaky again. And what that means is you need to look for very strong earnings and a great story to actually support the valuation multiple. Now, speaking of that multiple, the trailing price earnings multiple of Pandora is 18x. It's pretty big, particularly for the Danish market, where you would expect the multiples to be a little bit lower than perhaps in the US. It's not exactly the NASDAQ on that side. And the interesting thing here is that the multiple is still way below the levels we saw in 2016 when the company was super frothy. At that point in time, the PE was at over 35 times. It then unwound all the way down to 5x. So yeah, uh, very, very painful. Sometimes just buying the jewelry is actually much cheaper than going and buying the stock. But of course, if you buy the stock at the right time, you can do very well. So that five-year performance that I've referenced you know, just be careful. There is obviously a bit of a bottom effect there. You're really riding it from trough up to peak. You certainly don't want to ride it all the way back down again. So just make sure you look at the chart when you're looking at Pandora. Yeah, Ghost, I mean, that's been so fascinating because Swatch, not quite an exciting story, you know, certainly not compared to those numbers from Pandora. L let me jump in because, again, when we say Swatch, some people might just be picturing, you know, the very colorful, playful watches that are out there. Again, by way of a recap, this is a stock that we covered in July 2023. Now, it is a Swiss-based company. We know that the reporting in Europe in general uh, doesn't go, uh, uh, doesn't happen on a quarterly basis. So from the time we covered our last report and now there hasn't been another financial update so in terms of my three points today some of that will be by way of a recap of what we covered in our original show back in july 2023 some of it will be with regards to recent news stories but the first point i want to start off on is that what is swatch group like i say you know they own the swatch brand that's quite obvious but they also have a number of and this is a, it's a bit of a mix and match between ultra luxury brands and then what would be considered mass affluent I'm going to first jump into those ultra luxury brands. Those are the likes of Breguet, Blancpain. We've also got Longines. That comes through there as well. And then Omega. That's that's a big brand. That's a brand people will be familiar with. That's a brand that has been taking the fight to Rolex. And again, one could consider that as luxury, but it is a brand that has kind of grown up out of that mass affluent market. And then if you look at the rump of the business, as I indicated, Swatch, but then other brands you might be familiar with, Tissot, 
Rado, those are brands that come through in the Swatch stable. Now, when we covered it back in July 2023, the stock was trading around $16 a share. We are looking at the US ADR there. That's why I'm referencing it in dollars. And we were looking at that 200-week moving average because the stock had broken above that and was then testing that level. And we were saying, is that level going to act as support? We specifically, and I use this verbatim, we said, this stock has a history of false starts and failed rallies. Well, guess what? The stock's currently trading around $13 a share. So it hasn't quite panned out as one would have expected in terms of if you're expecting some upside to come through, that support to hold, that hasn't panned out as well. And some of the risks that we indicated in our original report was that smartwatches, that was an industry development that was eating into the space. In fact, I'm going to make a very interesting point around smartwatches and what I would call a win for Swatch as one of my, my, my backup points right now. But the other point we had raised was that this is not a luxury play. And that the fact that this is more mass affluent and rather not a luxury play, that was a risk for us because we saw a lot of the emphasis in the market, the defensiveness coming more in the luxury part of the, uh, the luxury segment of the market rather than in mass affluent. And at that time, we had actually decided that a, a, a pure luxury play like LVMH might be a better play than a player like Swatch. I'll let you know how that's panned out, in fact, right now, because if we look at the share price performance of Swatch over the last six months, I say six months because that's roughly when we had covered the stock. Well, Swatch is actually down around 13%. That's not fantastic. How is LVMH done? Well, pretty much similar. They're down around 16%. So it hasn't been a great time in the luxury and even in the mass affluent market. But the surprise here, other stocks that we had highlighted as competitors in this space a company like Richemont, that's actually up. I'll say up. I mean, this is really quite marginal. It's actually under a percent, but that's actually up over the last six months. We'll take that as a win. And then if you have a look at Kering, that was the one additional player we had looked at. That's a company that had, again, a, a weird assortment of brands, some of them luxury, some of them mass affluent. That stock actually even underperforming the likes of Swatch down around 19%. So it hasn't been smooth sailing. Uh, a quick uh, one metric to, to mention here, Swatch pays you a dividend of around one and a half percent. I know some of our listeners like to know what's the dividend yield. That one and a half percent certainly not going to make a dent when your overall price has declined, as I mentioned, around 13%. Well, I'd love to see some updated technicals on this thing because I'm just looking at the chart now and it's amazing how it's come all the way down to what looks like a pretty strong support level, maybe an interesting one for a punt. Yeah, in fact, go, so I'll jump right I'll jump right in there to address the question, right? I mean, importantly, it's below the 200-week moving average. It's now testing that from below. But what's very critical for us right now is that we had identified a trend line in our original report through the previous lows, and that trend line has actually held. So you are currently wedged between resistance and support. You need to see how that actually resolves to inform whether we actually get a resumption of a bull leg or if you should actually write the stock off. Yeah, because if it does start to rise, it's actually got quite a long way to go. So it's basically the exact opposite of what's happened to Pandora in the past year, which is really interesting. So maybe I'll jump into my second Pandora point here, which is around their fourth quarter numbers, which have recently been released uh, this week, actually. And their fourth quarter sales, they pretty much smashed it. It's the most important period of the year because this is obviously the festive season and there's a lot of gifting around jewelry. So if we look at contribution to revenue as we understand these numbers a bit, the US 30%, so Mo, I don't know what these excuses are that you don't know what Pandora is. I mean, US, Canada, it's all the same, right? Just kidding. 
UK 14%, Italy 9%, and then a bunch of other markets with China only 2%. So a pretty big opportunity there, actually. Full year organic growth, that came in at 8%, and momentum was pretty strong here because the fourth quarter was 12% growth with like-for-like like growth of 9%. Now, Europe, that's the mature market, only 5% growth there. US, they managed 10%. All the other markets collectively, 16%. It's also pretty good to see that at least in the fourth quarter, their EBIT margin was up by 150 basis points to 34%. That's a strong margin. And this is a seasonal business. So the full year margin is actually only around 25%, still good. And the full year number is where things unfortunately are perhaps not so exciting in other ways. So a really strong Q4, but not a great full year because EBIT was only up by around 4.5%, nowhere near as exciting as the end of the year. Now, if we lift our heads a bit to the multi-year trend, it's also a bit worrying. Profits got very sketchy heading towards the pandemic, and that's why the share price had fallen so hard from the 2016 levels. But the post-pandemic recovery has been reasonably good. So that's the sort of momentum in the performance that is driving the share price. And at the end of the day, a big part of the share price performance this year has been a multiple expansion story. Price earnings multiple up from 10.6 to over 18 now. So obviously, when your earnings are at least heading in the right direction, and your multiple has gone up by like 80% in a year, well, guess what? You know, your share price is going to do very well. Thank you. Now, Ghosh, you've mentioned some interesting metrics there. And again, it's a nice way to kind of segue into my next point. I'll, I'll touch on a couple of the key points. As I indicated, you know, we haven't had an update on the numbers, but you discussed margins at Pandora of around 30% plus. Now, at Swatch, they're a lot less exciting. I think when we indicated in our report, margins were around 11%. And we indicated how the cost base in this business was actually quite high. If you have a look at very expensive Swiss-based labor, the personnel cost to sales were around 30%, in fact, north of 30%. So that was something that was interesting that stood out for us. But then you also mentioned something interesting with regards to Pandora, and that was the low exposure to China and how that represented an opportunity. When we look at Swatch, however, the geographical exposure is very interesting. If you look at Greater China, that's actually the, the, the lion's share of its net sales. And in fact, you could, you could actually combine America and what they categorize as or, or other Europe, because uh, that excludes Switzerland. And if you combine those two, they're only slightly larger than China. As a, as a proportion of Swatch's overall sales. So this indicates the importance of China as a market for Swatch. And I think that's very interesting as a contrast to Pandora. But where I'm going to go with this next point was we mentioned smartwatches and how those are actually a risk to a business like Swatch. And the reason I raise this is in a very recent story. In fact, just over the course of the last few weeks, Swatch won an appeal in the UK against Samsung. Now, what is this all about? Samsung actually, uh, it was found that they had infringed on Swatch's intellectual property rights by showcasing watch faces. These are digital watch faces that replicated Swatch's designs. Now, the defense from Samsung was that these were third-party watch faces that were actually just produced and then placed on its online store and that Samsung themselves weren't out there infringing on Swatch's rights the UK court having none of that actually ruling in Swatch's favor. And that might actually be a positive. You know, I mean, yes, it's it's a small, it's a Pyrrhic win, but it's a win nonetheless. And this again just shows you how flexible, how dynamic this market is. It shows you how a player like Swatch that does operate predominantly in the in the in the analog, I would call it watch market, you know, they produce uh, watches and they also produce again some IP in the digital watch space. It shows you how they are sensitive to some of these competitive 
pressures. And what did that look like? In, in fact, there were 30 downloadable watch face apps that were actually on the Samsung store that were in violation of this particular, uh, let's call it intellectual property, uh, intellectual property start. So that was interesting for me. And I saw that as somewhat of a bull point, but I really am scratching for a stock that again, on an earnings multiple basis, is trading around 15 times. You know, if, if you look at that and you look at the growth outlook, again, in our original report, we indicated how management seems to get in the way. That still seems to be uh, the, the case when you're looking at a company like Swatch versus some of the more dynamic competitors that are out there. Yeah, it's a bit of a hollow victory, right? Because it kind of proves the point around smart watches and how at the end of the day, in the sort of cheaper watch game, it's not unreasonable to think that smartwatches just disrupt that heavily. It's very far from a beautiful luxury watch with an automatic movement, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, fair enough. Uh, I suppose we'll see how that plays out. Let's look deeper at the product range at Pandora as my final point. And they have what they call the core range. That's 78% of revenue. And there is very little growth going on there. Only 2% in like-for-like -like growth. Now, Mo, I know that you have no idea what Pandora is, but actually what they're quite well known for is these kind of quite cool bracelets and you go and buy all the little links slash charms that make up that bracelet. So I think that's what's really inside their core range. That's how they built the business. Very much the cash cow of the group. It did actually accelerate in Q4 with 4% growth. That's pretty good when you consider how big this uh, section of the business actually is. Then get ready for the MBA style naming. So they have a section of the business that they refer to as, and I, I'm not making this up, fuel with more. So I suppose what that means is Actually, I don't know. I think it means fuel growth with more. I, I don't know. I feel like it works in Danish and then someone has directly translated it into English and it's just a disaster. Anyway, so what it is actually, these are the sort of growth engines in the group. So Pandora Timeless, that's a range of earrings and necklaces and even rings. It's distinct from the bracelets that they are famous for. Ditto for Pandora Signature, which kind of also steps away from the bracelets. Don't ask me what the difference is between Signature and Timeless. I certainly can't tell you, and I've looked on the website. I can't really tell the difference. But I'll tell you what did jump out at me is my old favorite topic on Twitter, and that is lab-grown diamonds. Pandora is actually quite big in lab-grown diamonds, interestingly enough, or at least they've been very vocal about it, even if it's not a big part of their business. This was up 83% in the fourth quarter, up 116% for the full year. Now, before you get too excited about that, it's only 1% of group revenue right now. So a very small base effect. Uh, the important collection actually is the timeless collection, 20% of revenue this quarter and up 31%. So they are fueling with more, uh, whatever that means. And that those ranges that all go under fuel with more, which includes the lab-grown stuff, manage 23% growth this quarter and 14% for the full year. So long story short, Pandora's growth is coming from the jewelry that they aren't necessarily famous for right now. And I guess that shows how important it is to keep innovating, but also the value of just having a brand that allows you to do different things, you know, to kind of go beyond that key product range. You know, could Swatch do that with jewelry? Uh, I, I don't know, maybe, but I don't necessarily think so. I don't think a Swatch store can suddenly start selling necklaces very successfully, but Pandora can move into other things. And to be honest, I think a Pandora watch is entirely plausible. So it's nice to see some optionality in the business. Uh, but yeah, we'll see where it all ends up, of course.
Ghost, I love how we don't script these shows and then we, we end up with related points because you're talking product range and, and that's where I go with my last point here. In, in fact, you're talking about, you know, can, can you move into different verticals? Can you move into different products? And it links me to this last point, which is around the moon swatch. Now, for those of you that are very keen on watches, let's maybe rewind a little bit. There's a very famous Omega Speedmaster that is actually the watch that actually went to the moon. Now, Omega, a premium brand, as I indicated, that's a brand that's been taking the fight and eating into Rolex's market share. It's priced accordingly. But what's been very interesting is that Swatch has actually gone and launched something that they call the Moon Swatch. And if you go and have a look at this, if you look at the face of a Moon Swatch and you have a look at the face of the Omega Speedmaster, well, they're actually very similar. And this is going to go and concern a whole bunch of people who went and bought their Omega Speedmasters, the watch that literally went to the Moon, at a price tag of between seven to 10,000 pounds. So this indicates to you how expensive that is. Is Swatch doing the right thing by diluting this brand, by launching something that is called the Moon Swatch? Well, Time will tell. Initial reports actually indicate, and I, I don't know if we should believe this. Again, this ties to the point I made earlier. Is management just getting in the way here? The moon swatch, what's important here is that it's not limited in terms of quantities. So it really does cheapen the brand somewhat. But swatch is out there saying that, yes, some companies come into the store looking for a moon swatch and then actually leave with the Omega Speedmaster and they effectively upselling them. But the question mark for me here is, is Swatch actually just diluting its brand? Because they've indicated, management has indicated that they've got a number of other collaborations between its Swatch brand and some of the other luxury brands under its umbrella. Uh, let's see how the market actually digests this. You know, Omega in general makes up around 60% of the of Swatch Group's revenue in the watches space. It is a 120-year-old brand. And if they're willing to actually roll the dice with a brand that has been as iconic as that, that they've actually managed to successfully push upstream, move into the luxury space, they're now effectively experimenting with that. Time will tell whether this is actually a successful strategy to try and broaden the appeal of the overall umbrella. But for me, as someone who likes their watches, their premium watches, it raises a couple of question marks. I'm raising my eyebrow. I'm squinting a little bit at that. I'm going to think twice before buying a luxury brand from Swatch, whether that's an Omega versus some of the other luxury players that are out there. And I mean, that's just the risk in this business is can you actually overplay your hand while you're trying to evolve your business and grow market share in different parts of the market? Big question mark for me. Swatch, I'm going to watch that closely, Ghost. I think it's close to that, as we indicated, close to support levels, but it's not an exciting play for me at this point in time. I must say, if I was going to pick one, just take valuation out of it for a moment, I would pick Pandora. I'm familiar with both businesses, and I think Pandora is a strong business. They've got a pretty loyal base of supporters as well. But you know, from an investing perspective, definitely watch the technical levels here because, you know, Pandora has gone right up to its peak and actually Swatch is kind of sitting on a support line roughly, as we've talked about, or at least testing one from below. So both of these would need to be very carefully watched because if Pandora rolls over, it's a long way down and that could just be multiple unwind. It's not even really any fault of their own. Likewise, if Swatch can break through and start to come back up, you know, I guess that could give you 10% or 15%, even if the long term on the business isn't so great. So that's the joy of the markets. 
but I'm glad we did these two stocks. I've found it pretty interesting. Yeah, Ghost, I mean, that is the nature of the markets. As a sector, as a whole, I'm certainly quite cautious. I think as we indicated in our original report, if you want to play luxury, if you want to play that very high end of the consumer, Swatch is not the place where I think you get that exposure. And quite frankly, I think there are probably more exciting places to be putting your money, certainly as we move through what is a very interesting macroeconomic backdrop as well. But what do you think as our listeners? Let us know on social media. It's at Magic Markets Pod. That's one word. It's at Finance Ghost and at Mohammed Nala, all on X, or pop us a note on LinkedIn. Let us know what you think of the show and also what your thoughts are for the year ahead. We hope you've enjoyed it. Until next week, same time, same place. Thanks and cheers. Ciao. We thank our sponsor, B2IT, for making this show possible. B2IT is all about making life easier, one robot at a time. If you hate it, automate it. Visit b2it.co.za to kickstart your business automation journey. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please speak to your personal financial advisor 